We are studying Hebrews chapter 7, which is about Melchizedek. And Jesus, basically, it's, it's about Melchizedek, but the reason it's about Melchizedek is to prove that Jesus Christ is our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, and that He makes intercession for us, and that we have direct access to the throne of grace because of the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ, who um, is after this order of Melchizedek. And the greater reason, to put this in context, so some of you are, haven't been here the last so many weeks where we are talking about this, in the bigger context of Hebrews, at issue is the fact that the, these Hebrew Christians are being tempted to go back to the regular temple worship, the, the priesthood of Levi, and the reason they're being tempted is this idea of a high priest they can't see doesn't seem that tangible. I mean, they, they have still, this is before 70, hi, old friend, um, they, this is before 70 A.D., so still, they are, uh, they could just go down to the temple and they could see the priest doing their sacrifice and they, they could go on to the Day of Atonement and see the high priest in his glorious garb, you know, going through the ceremonial aspects that they had. And this seemed very attractive. This is real. This is tangible. We can see this high priest. And we see these Levites. We can go talk to them. Jesus, he's in heaven. Can't see him. All right? And so that a very important theme in the book of Hebrews is this, that Jesus Christ is more, I mean, superior to all of this other stuff and the faith is an evidence of things not seen. And that we can't get any closer to God than we can through coming to Jesus Christ. Amen. And all these things that are tempting people to go here and there thinking they're going to get closer to God are false. Because you cannot get any closer to God than you're going to be through the Gospel and trusting Jesus Christ. So, giving that as a background. Hebrews 7, and we were... Um, I think we were on verse 4, right? Mary, is she here? <laughs> we have to consult Mary to tell what verse we're on. Oh, okay, well, you're not going to help then. <laughs> we're on 4, okay. Hebrews 7, 4. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. Uh, this is um, a reference back to Genesis 14. So let's just refresh our minds about what happened in Genesis 14. There was this war of the kings. Lot had been taken captive. And Abraham mustered his servants and went and rescued Lot from these kings. And then... Verse 17, Genesis 14. Then after his return from the defeat of Chedorlomar, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and now he was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. 
And he gave him a tenth of all. So Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils to Melchizedek. Alright? And that's what's the historical background for what's being said in Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, now observe how great this man was, whom Abraham the Patriarch gave a tenth of the choice of spoils. Um, Dan, could you read James 2.23 for us? This now observe is an oratorical imperative, in case you've been wondering. <laughs> it's a strong phrase that says, pay attention to this. James 2.23 You're a little slow finding it, Dan. Very slow. Very slow. <laughs> okay, there you go. For <laughs> any four twenty-two. Four twenty-three. I have on my nose. Or two twenty-three. Two twenty-three. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Okay, so Abraham was this important guy, a friend of God. But yet, he is the one who is um, honoring Melchizedek. So that the idea that we're developing here is that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Amen. Melchizedek's greater than Abraham. Alright, so let's move on to verse uh, 5. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who receive the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descendant from Abraham. So the argumentation continues. And I want to say that this is very Hebrew. You have to understand Hebrew thinking and Hebrew reasoning to, for, to understand this argument. Because we wouldn't necessarily figure that, okay, so uh, Levites descended from Abraham. Uh, what's that got to do with Melchizedek? Well, the argument is going to be that means that they're lesser than Melchizedek. And since Jesus, it says of him, now we're to priest for order forever after the order of Melchizedek, then Jesus must be greater. Now, this is a, lot of, a long way of saying that, but that's how the Jewish people argued. And it's very Hebrew. Now, this... Um, Verse where it says, the sons of Levi receive the priest's office, it's in the present tense. So, this is evidence that the book of Hebrews was written before 70 A.D. Because in 70 A.D., the Roman army came in, destroyed the temple, destroyed the whole system of sacrifice, and they no longer were able to have their Levitical sacrifices. I think that the argument, too, is... their authority to be a priest because of genetics. They weren't the best team of the crop they were going to be a priest. <laughs> they weren't the team of the crop because the sons of Eli were a bunch of wretched sinners, but they were still priests because they were the sons of Eli, not because of something else. Right. So genetically they had the authority that was their, their certified priesthood came right. from their uh, genetics. It came from their genealogy. And that's why it's important that Melchizedek has no genealogy. That's very important. 
because that distinguishes him from the Levitical priesthood who could only be priests based on their genealogy. And that's what's going to make this a greater priesthood that Jesus has. Because Jesus, as we will see as we get into this chapter, doesn't have the genealogy to be a priest. He's from the tribe of Judah. Amen. I agree. Yeah, we have one high priest and then the priesthood of every believer. Yes, uh, Mary. Really? I, anybody else read that? Okay, I hadn't heard that. But. It's on the white Romans on which one these is a very famous genetic that who is a descendant from that, and he did a check on all the different priests, and there's something that's special genetically even there. To this day? Wow. Well, uh, it's, you know, it's likely that, um, you know, being, I believe in literal future Bible prophecy, and this abomination of desolation that happens at the midpoint of the Great Tribulation would indicate that before that happened, there is a rebuilt temple and a re- reinstitution of this whole uh, system. Yes. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah, all they need is a location now, right? So it will be reinstituted, but sadly, not in a good situation because the Antichrist will have deceived will have deceived the Jews and for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Then when he sets himself up as the object of worship, that's when um, literally all hell breaks loose. If you've read... <laughs> Oh, yeah. 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 So if they have that identified already, they're they're good to go. Okay. So that that's interesting. The reason I brought up this present tense. This establishes the authorship of Hebrews before 70 A.D. And it also gives us the context of why they're so tempted to go back. Because they have this real literal thing going on. And people are attracted to ceremony and 
They, they, want, they want a king. They want a priest. They want cardinals or bishops. Or, I mean, people just want to have some man who, or, or that's holy and uh, full of pomp to follow. And that's why they get to see it. Right, exactly. So the one unique thing you need to know about the New Testament Christianity is the priesthood of every believer. And that is a very, very essential doctrine that needs to be emphasized. Because without it, you end up with these abusers. That's true. It is a great responsibility. You say, well, it's by faith. Of course it is by faith. But even when they could see Moses in the, in the fire, led by God, at first they could see, could see his miracles, could see the Red Sea, could see everything, miracle after miracle. They still said, we want to go back to Egypt and get the good cakes and stuff. Yeah. So even seeing, <laughs> and even after the, the thousand-year reign, see Christ's reign, they still They rebelled. So believing is seeing. Seeing isn't believing, apparently. Um, yeah, I agree. I just said that in an article I wrote. Somebody wrote a book called Seeing is Believing, and I said, no, according to the Bible, believing is seeing. Um, if, you're, if you're not believing, you will be deceived. That's a good point. You know, people go out and preach and say, if we had more signs and miracles, and everybody would come to faith. And the answer to that is the generation that saw the, saw the most miracles in the history of mankind all died in unbelief. You know, it doesn't exactly work. Okay, let's get to this verse here. The priest, so it's going on. They have a commandment to collect the tithe. So the tithe went to the Levites because they didn't have their own portion. Uh, so that's how they survived. Yeah, the Levites are descended from Abraham. Absolutely true. They couldn't argue with that. They would agree with, with uh, the author of Hebrews if that's exactly the way it is. A couple other cross-references. Uh, Dean, could you look up Leviticus 27, 30-32? Brian, num oh boy, it's eleven verses. Yeah. <laughs> Your leggers. <laughs> Brian just had every place, but I don't know if he could read eleven verses. <laughs> okay, numbers uh, eighteen twenty-one to thirty-two, and then um, I'll scoop. Uh, you have you're sharing a Bible there. Okay, so we'll go to Karen. You got a Bible there? All right. Uh, 2 Chronicles 31, 4 to 6. Leviticus 27, 30 to 32. The reason we do cross references in, in Sunday school here is because it takes me about four years to get through a book. So if we want to learn other places in the Bible, we have to kind of go around <laughs> through the Bible. All right. Yes. And all the tithes of the land, whether of the seed of Okay, that's the institution of tithing in, under the Old Testament law. And that was Leviticus 27, 30 to 32. And now we're going to go to Numbers 18, 21 to 32. I wonder what that is. I'm going to look it up. 
21 through the Oh, what translation are you using? Amplified, okay. Interesting. All right, so that was the institution of the whole tithe, yes. This passage here? Yeah, we, we did some teaching on that. We put it on our website. Um, what, I, what I believe is that the, tithe, the, the Abrahamic tithing is valid, but Abrahamic tithing is voluntary. There's no prescription that like this where it's got to be this way, this way, this way, and if you don't do it exactly like that, that God's going to curse you. Have you heard people preach that, that if you don't exactly tithe everything, then you're going to be cursed? Actually, the tithe is more than 10%. If you take all the special offerings and everything involved, it'd be about 21, 20, 21, 23%. So. Yeah, back in those days. So, um, I think we're still on our website. Did we have an audio on there about that? So, if you're interested, but my position on tithing is that it's voluntary. The, the preachers can't hold that over your head and tell, tell you that God's going to curse you unless you give them 10% of the money. Well, didn't, didn't you also, Bob, make the point that when back then the tithe, that money was used for all sorts of things within the community? Well, that's what we you just read. You just read that. They had, a, they had a whole system that was all commanded by God exactly how it has to be, which there's no such corresponding system set up in the New Testament, giving was voluntary. Paul went and took up an offering for the 
saints in Jerusalem. It was voluntary. Yeah, right. And so a lot of the bad teaching is, is trying to set up the same, some sort of a modern day priesthood, even if they don't call it that. And they're trying to set up holy men uh, that are above and better than everybody else, and then suggesting that the tithes of the people have to take care of these holy men. Um, and all of this is not the way the New Testament is set up. The New Testament is the priesthood of every believer. Giving in the New Testament is voluntary. Um, and there's no suggestion that if you don't give the preacher 10% of your money, God's going to curse you. Oh, is that how they do it? Yeah, they. The <laughs> Ryan, did you have something you want to say? Yeah, and God's very well pleased with that. As and what and in faith, as long as we're doing whatever we do in faith, is given unto the Lord. God is pleased with that. Yes. Did the Lord say there pick on the person that only gave a woman only gave a penny or a little bit, and they're picking on her? And God says, "What are you picking on her for?" He says, "When you give your ten percent or whatever you give, He says you're giving what you know little bit you got left over. This person's giving all they got to live on." Yeah. I mean, yeah. so He dealt with it. God. Well, he knows our, our hearts. It's all a heart yeah. issue of how you want to get it. Don't game plan. You know, well, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> that, like the woman with the taking care of God first burial. Judas is complaining. You can use that money. Feed the poor for a whole year. God says she's getting ready. So it all comes from the heart. Judas, you're giving, you're, and you're caring and you're loving. Yeah. It comes from God. Reaches out to this lost world with your money. God will help you. Spread it around. Amen. <laughs> Judas, Judas used to pilfer the money purse. Oh, yeah. I think he was an early politician. <laughs> he had to figure it out a long time. Give to the poor. Yeah, I'll take care of it for you. Let me let me hold the money bag when you give to the poor. Um. Okay, let's go on here. We had one more cross references. Two Chronicles thirty-one four through six. Karen. I 
I've probably told you a story before that the church I grew up in actually practiced, they didn't call it tithing, but they did that, literally did that. We grew up in a little farm community, and I went to church in Archer, Iowa, population 135. And the way the church basically paid their bills over the course of a year was every fall they had a harvest festival, and the farmers uh, brought in wagon loads of corn and beans and oats or whatever kind of produce. People brought in pies and stuff out of their garden, and they had an auction which people bought the stuff for over what it was worth. And I thought it was real fun because my dad, when I was like 10, 12 years old, let me drive the tractor around town. We had to literally take the, you know, all these tractors and loads of grain, and we'd have a parade through town and go to the elevator and and it would go into the elevator and all that, they'd figure out the value of the grain and then that, all that money would go to the church and that's, that's how the church made it over the year. So I, I, they took that same, their idea was, and they'd have somebody get up in front of the church and say, thank you, Lord, that we had a harvest this year. So it's still a, kind of a good thing to do. So it's, it, we're a little more removed from it in the city. We don't, <laughs> we don't have a tractor full of corn. <laughs> yeah, bring your tomatoes. See, the, yeah, your tomatoes are supposed to be tithed, I want you to know, <laughs> to the pastor. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, let's go on here. Verse 6. Oh, Ryan, you're here. Dean's not here, but he asks a good question. Why is it that we don't believe Melchizedek was a pre-incarnation? incarnate visitation of Christ, and I told him that you had written about this and expounded on it, and so you would answer that for us. Right. You don't have a type and an anti-type where there's an identical identity. A type of Christ is something like the Ark of the Covenant that's a type of Christ. But Christ himself is Christ. Yeah. Many of them were, yes. There are many types in the Old Testament. Okay, so that was the answer. Yes, uh, Gene. Um. He asked the question: Was our angels ever considered a type of Christ? Um, I don't recall anything specifically in Scripture that gives a specific type of Christ. What, uh, I mean, not that I can think of. Well, we have the angel of the Lord, but we believe that really was him, right? Yeah. Like the type of you can have Christ could be an angel, but an angel means messenger, and he wasn't in one sense an angel, but he 
use drugs at the same time, but that's not in the typology. That's yeah, so that's one thing. If you want a drug, it's supposed to become a major permission to continually bring in word and, and, and beads from the Lord, where Jesus is the ultimate messenger coming to bring right. in. Right. Incarnate right. Okay. So that, that's the answer to that question from last week. So the guy that asked is teaching Sunday school now, so. Interesting. Did you ever think of that? He just said that Melchizedek is without mother, it says. He wouldn't say that about Christ. Wow. Good for you. <laughs> you get a gold star in Sunday school. Good answer. <laughs> yeah, you get some of Brian's tomatoes. All right, let's, uh, no, that's a good answer. Good thinking. All right, let's, now, the broader reason we need to be thinking about this, though, is that this argument is going uh, to this being without genealogy is important because it shows that you can have a priest without a gene- genealogy, which would not be true for Levitical priests. And so it, it makes it possible, biblically, for Jesus Christ to be considered a high priest. So that's where we're going. Verse 6. <coughs> Excuse me. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. All right, who had the promises? Well, Abraham. I've been preaching through Genesis. I'm going to do so in another chapter today in Genesis. Uh, Abraham received promises in chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17, chapter 22. Throughout um, Genesis, there's these promises that are given to Abraham, including ones before chapter 14. And so Abraham was the great patriarch who had been promised this lineage and many descendants. And um, Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Um, and here's another interesting point, I think. God said that he would bless Abraham. The one who blesses you, I will bless God said he would bless Abraham. Um, Here he does so through Melchizedek. So God is blessing Abraham through Melchizedek. And according to Hebrew thinking, the argument is that Melchizedek, relatively speaking, is a greater figure than Abraham. And you know how high of esteem Abraham is in the Jewish mind. No one's greater than Abraham. But if Melchizedek's greater than Abraham, that's significant. Yes. Oh, Mary. Well, that's what we were just discussing. Some people have said so, but I don't think that's the point here. I think the point is that he is a person who, in the Scripture, has no genealogy because it wasn't necessary for him to have one. The reason for these genealogies was to establish the tribes, the lineage, you know, and so forth. And he appears without one, not because he didn't, you know, literally have any parents, but that he doesn't need a genealogy to establish his priestly service because he's a, he's this person that's king of Salem, which means king of righteousness, you know, and peace, who comes, who they think is probably king of Jerusalem, or at least the place that became Jerusalem. And he comes with this mysteriously on the scene of history, receives the tithe from Abraham disappears from the scene of history until he comes back in Psalm 110, which is a Messianic psalm, where it says, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
And so we would probably think that Melchizedek has no great significance if it weren't for Psalm 110 and verse 4. So who is this person in Psalm 110 who sits at the right hand of, of the majesty on high, who um, rules in the midst of his enemies, and who is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, is none other than Jesus Christ. And so Melchizedek is important because of Psalm 110 and verse 4. So and then we we'd forget about it again if it, we weren't back here in Hebrews and it comes back up. Yes, uh, Brian. Yeah, exactly. Good point. It's a nice, nice lesson. <laughs> All right. There you go. So if you want to be great, believe God, come, believe the gospel, and come to Christ. Amen. And that's great. Okay, a, a few passages I had here. I hope that got onto the tape. But we, the short version is greatness often has to do in the Bible with your relationship to Jesus Christ. Genesis 12, 2, and 3 is a cross-reference, but we can just cite that. Um, that's where Abraham received this promise that uh, through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed, and the one would bless him, God would bless. Uh, but here's one to look up. Keith, Genesis 13, 14 through 17. Carla, Genesis 14, 19, and 20. Oh, did I, I missed uh, Stefan here. Stefan, you do Genesis 13, 14 through 17. Keith, Genesis 14, 19, and 20. Carla, Genesis 17, 4 through 8. Genesis 13, 14 through 17.
Okay, that's the promise of a multitude of descendants and a promise of the land, which promises are reiterated often. Okay, 14, 19, and 20. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, that delivered thine enemies unto thy hand. He gave them tithes, he gave him tithes of all. Okay, that was the, that was the blessing that was pronounced by Melchizedek. Uh, Genesis 17, 4 through 8. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly and I will make Do you think that land promise is still valid? I believe it too. It's not an accident that the descendants of Abraham are in that land today. Um, I'm going to be preaching on Genesis 17, so I won't, I'm going to save some of it for the sermon here. Okay, let's go to verse 7, Hebrews 7, 7. <laughs> but without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In other words, his Jewish audience isn't going to argue with that point. All right? This is good reasoning. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Now, we're all going to agree that the lesser is blessed by the greater. Therefore, what? Melchizedek is greater. All right? Without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And here meaning more prominent. More prominent. Um, in the Old Testament, again, this is in Hebrew thinking. All right? But the only exception to that, I think, in the Bible would be that when man blesses God, but there's a different range of meaning in the term bless. See, when a, when, when a, person blesses another one, and I have some cross-references to some of these incidents, uh, especially when it's the patriarchs, the things that they say become, in a sense, prophetic. Um, if you look at the blessing of the 12 tribes, for example, by the patriarch uh, Israel or Jacob, it, it all falls out later in history, just as he says. Interesting, just, it happens later, just as he says. These blessings become a reality. I think you can say it as well that I can bless somebody greater than me, but when I say bless you, what I'm actually saying is God bless you because I'm still in a position that's lower and I'm acknowledging that the one I'm hoping and praying that God would bless them, not my not me myself. Right. Okay. Yeah. Aaron 
By the way, that was one of the cross references, so <laughs> good for you. <laughs> We're on the right track. We're on the right track here. <laughs> it's a sure sign that uh, I had the right one. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Thus you shall bless the people. And it's, it's a mosaic blessing formula. The Lord sometimes uses that for a benediction. In a sense, it was so critical, that blessing then, but today we take it for granted. God says, bless them that curse you. We are so tight. With It isn't I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. You're talking to homeless ever. You can bless them with a greater blessing. Because Christ lives within you to shed blood and bless them that curse you. So how much you should bless, be not be stingy with it. You know, <laughs> somehow it's lost its meaning. God bless you in the new covenant, but scripturally it's powerful. Amen. I believe that. I definitely believe that. May God richly bless you. You may not be able to even feed him. Peter said, gold and silver, I have none. I have none, but what I have, I can bless you. Like I told the homeless yesterday, I give you the money I have, I'll give you clothing. But the blessing I'm giving you is telling you the gospel. This spiritual bread is going to be better because the bread you eat today, you could die tonight. The liquid I give you today, you could die and go to hell. What good is it? And it'd be better if you starved on the street today without bread and water and had Jesus Christ and, and went to heaven without bread and water. So you told them that? Yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we like you on the street, Dan. <laughs> Amen. That's the truth. Absolutely. I uh, One time when you first started coming here, Dan, and I, I sent you a card. Remember that? I When Dan you know, first started coming here, and he's... Kind of gets loud every once in a while, and uh, yeah, no. And anyhow, something that impressed me, um, and I'm sorry to embarrass you, but anyhow, there was a guy that came here begging money after church, and which is common, and most of the time, you know, just you know, panhandlers or whatever, and you never see him. All right, you give them money, they go their way, or if you don't, you don't, whatever. So here's this common occurrence: this guy comes in, yeah, you got five bucks. Dan was standing there, and Dan, unlike anybody I'd seen, he puts his arm around the guy, and he says, you know, I'm going to give you five bucks, but not yet. (laughs) (laughs) He says, first I want to pray for you, and I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. And he said and shared the gospel with the guy. And and there were different people. You know, I'm always busy trying to, how many different people I can talk to after church. So I left that scene. Went out and talked to some people in, in the library and come back and here's this guy in tears and Dan's praying with him and uh, I mean, that guy came in with a certain demeanor on his face like I'm going to hit these Christians up for some money and he got more than he expected. And that's our yeah. So thank you. So thank you. And I sent a card. I sent a card off to Dan and thanked him for what God was doing through him. And he was came back next week and said. Well, I always get kicked out of all the other churches. 
<laughs> so so we so we, we came highly recommended. We didn't kick Dan out of here. <laughs> well, we, we welcome the gospel. Okay, Cladoris, if you could read um, Genesis 28, 1 through 4, and Norm, Hebrews 11, 20 and 21. So there's a, a patriarchal blessing that literally came through. And, but even in that, he's calling on God as the ultimate source of blessing. Yeah, so that was uh, Isaac blessing Jacob and sending him out to find a wife. Pretty cool. Hebrews 11, 20, 21. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, Yeah, so these blessings were effectual because they were done in faith, believing God and His promises that had been given to the patriarchs. So, when it says without any dispute, the assumption is that this nobody is going to argue this, at least amongst his audience. Alright? They're going to accept that. So let's go to verse 8. I think we have time to finish that. Uh, and before the fellowship time. Hebrews 7, 8. And in this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom is witness that he lives on. Now, some of who believe that Melchizedek was actually Christ would look to this verse as their proof, but I, I think they're overlooking the Hebrew thinking here. The Hebrew thinking is this corporate solidarity and that he lives on through the person of Christ. Right. Yeah, the, the, the really important point here is this, that the Levites, their ministry lives on through a series of successors, be they good or evil, but they have, they have to have the genealogy, and they live on through their successors. But it says of Melchizedek, or it says of Christ, thou art a priest forever, so I think this is an allusion to Psalm 110 verse 4. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this priesthood lives on because Christ lives and is seated at the right hand of the Father and continues to be the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so this is a relative duration of their respective ministries. His lives on because of the person of Christ. The Levites have a series of successors. Now, I have a note to myself to read something from William Lane, who has a fantastic commentary. It's rather dense and scholarly, but the insights are fantastic. William Lane 
commenting on this verse and what's being said here. Witness is born, where it says, for whom it is witness. So the phrase literally, witness is born, is almost certainly a reference to Scripture. In this context, the declaration must refer back to verse 3, which the writer considered to be exegetically established in the heart, on the basis of Psalm 110 and verse 4, and Genesis 14, 18-20. Scripture announces of Melchizedek only his living and the administration of a priesthood that is free from temporal limitations. Alright, so there are no temporal limitations. He shows, on, shows up in the scene of history one time with Abraham, and then it says in Psalm 110, verse 4, Thou art a priest forever, speaking of Messiah. So it lives on in the person of Messiah. Yes, Kathy. The blood of Abel, yes. Okay. Now, with Jesus dying on the cross, Okay. Let me repeat the question and answer it because I so that people that listen on the internet. The question was, well, the blood of Abel, we talked about that, it speaks. Um and what and basically does how is that the way Jesus' blood is? All right, so that's a reference to a passage in Hebrews which says, which speaks better things, that the blood of Christ speaks better things than the blood of Abel. You can make a good sermon out of that. I think I did once. But there's a lot of ways that Christ's blood speaks better. But you're right, they both speak. But Abel's blood speaks crying out for vengeance. All right? Whereas Jesus' blood speaks crying out for mercy. You know, and so that's one way that Jesus' blood speaks better things than the blood of Abel. And so we could also, like the blood of Abel, say it speaks on. In other words, Jesus' blood was shed once for all. But it still speaks to, to God in the sense that everyone who flees, flees from the wrath of God through the blood of Jesus and comes to Him for mercy, the blood of Jesus speaks forgiveness. It speaks justice, that God's wrath was satisfied. And this is part of the preaching of the gospel that's sorely neglected these days. You, you rarely hear about the wrath of God against sin, and so therefore people don't realize why they need the gospel. And if they hear about the blood of Jesus, I don't know that they understand it unless we explain it to them, that the, that the sin must be paid for by death. And Jesus died for sins, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. And that the blood of Jesus says that his blood was shed to forgive sins. And to also, it's propitiatory, which means to appease God's wrath. Just like the blood that was poured out on the uh, mercy seat once a year on the Day of Atonement, the Bible says in, in the book of Romans, he is our... Now the translation in the New American Standard, propitiation, but the word in the Greek, hilasterion, is the same word translated mercy seat in the book of Hebrews. And so you can say he is our mercy seat, Jesus himself. And his blood is poured out perpetually, once for all, before God. And everyone who appeals to God for a clean conscience can be said to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. 
We used to sing a little chorus, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Yeah, it is finished. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) You know what? I I can spend the rest of my life fellowshipping around the Gospel and not get tired of this. (laughs) I don't need some new topic. (laughs) And, you know, people, uh, when I was in seminary, uh, and I saw some very, very bad trends that were coming into the church, including coming into the seminaries, one of the reasons for the changes was the suggestion that Evangelical churches weren't relevant. 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 What do I revelatory? No. <laughs> relevant. Relevant. I know that word. That they weren't relevant. And I remember sitting in a class where they were saying that, and they were all chiming in. Yeah, that's why we need to get, you know, uh, better. We need to have sermons that are more practical, and people don't want to listen to exegetical Bible stuff and. People don't want to hear about all these doctrines and all this theology in church. They want something relevant. And I thought after a while, I just couldn't listen to it anymore. And I said something in class. I said, I don't get this. If we believe that in Adam all die, and that every person comes in this world lost and bound for hell, with the biggest problem any human ever had in, ever is a sin problem, and the wrath of God directed against their sin, how can the means of resolving that ever be irrelevant to a sinner? And they go, well, yeah, I guess you got a point. (laughs) There is nothing more relevant than getting fleeing from God's wrath and, and also embracing God's mercy. The same God who is a wrathful God is a merciful, loving, kind God who forgives sins. And so... I think it's a, it's a travesty that the gospel and the preaching of things like the blood atonement has exited the church under grounds of being relevant when, as a matter of fact, if you look at things like Dan was talking about, like the, whether you have food or clothing, which, yeah, okay, that's important. But is any, this life is very, very short. Is anything more important than where we spend eternity? Yeah. Yeah, the rich man. Remember the rich. Yeah, the rich man wanted to come back. Yeah, he wanted to warn. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, keep that in mind. And next week, I'm going to write down where we start, so we don't get confused. We will start next week on Hebrews seven and verse nine. Yeah, I would have heard that. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Confrontational. 
they should, you know, they, a good book about that uh, is uh, Hard to Believe by John MacArthur. That's a fantastic book. He, he brings out all these teachings of Jesus that people would tend to not even want to hear. And so they get a skewed version of even who Jesus is because they don't get the whole story. Okay, we have a time of fellowship. And we have church starts at 1030. We get some uh, donuts and juice over here. And after church today, there is a meal. You're invited to stay for that.